Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that before time began, you chose the right time and the right place to come and dwell among your people. And Lord, we also give you thanks that this morning you have set aside this time, this place, to come into our midst. That here now, as we go before your word, you desire to meet with us, to speak with us, to reveal your love and your grace to those who are gathered here. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we'd be ready to receive that gift. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, what we're going to be talking about this morning is we're going to be talking about a gift that's given. A gift that we see comes to us from God, and it's a gift that at first may seem a little bit odd and strange. But it's one of these gifts that had been foretold from, for hundreds of years leading up to that very, very first Christmas that took place in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You see, over the past four weeks, we've been in this season of Advent, and what we've been doing as a church is we've been looking at some of those prophecies, some of those promises that come to us that speak about the gifts that God would one day give his people when he came to dwell in their midst. Those images that we get, these these pictures that come to us from the prophet Isaiah include a mountain. This idea that when God comes again, Jerusalem will be exalted as the highest of mountains over all the earth. And from that city would go forth God's peace and God's justice. Another image that we were given was this image of a stump and a shoot. This idea that God would bring life forth from that which seems dead. Third image was this image of an oasis, that the dry places, that the desert places would run with streams of living water, showing that God can do the impossible, that he can give life-giving water to a weary and thirsty world. And then last Sunday, the, the final Sunday of Advent, we saw that it was a sign, the sign of a child, a child who would bring not judgment, but would rather bring hope and peace to his people. And this morning, we're going to look at one last image, and it's this image of light. One of the things that we read in Isaiah chapter 9, which we heard just a few moments ago, was this. It says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has shined. The gift that God says he will bring into this world is the gift of light. Which is why it's no surprise that during the Christmas season, we see lights everywhere. Lights decorate our trees. We light candles as this idea that uh, is a sign of God coming into the world. We have the Advent wreath, uh, which we lit a little bit earlier in our service. Light is one of these things that we just associate with this season. But I think as a result, because we live in a world where it's so easy to have access to light, where all you need to do is flip a switch and you can illuminate a darkened room, we fail to see just how great and extravagant a gift this is. You see, light is given to us because we need it. Light is given to us because there is darkness. And without the light, we just can't see. We, we just can't get around. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have access to lights in my house. Because the truth is, is that I have a one-year-old. And she wakes up about, 
you know, three, four, five, six, seven, sometimes eight times a night. And I need to somehow get from my room to her room. And without light, I guarantee you, I have like the biggest big toe that you can possibly imagine. And I guarantee it gets stubbed every single time I try to make my way to her room without light. We need light in darkness. Otherwise, we can't see. We just can't get around. We can't navigate. And what God says is he's coming to bring light into a darkened world. He's coming to bring light to those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, so if he's bringing light, where, where is it? How do we find it? Because the image of light is not one that's unique to Christianity. That in fact, if you search many of the world's religions, light and the image of light in the midst of darkness is a pretty common theme. And what you will find if you look at a lot of the other world's religions is that this idea of finding the light is, a, is what a, the entire human race is called to. We're called to search out and seek the light. This light being a symbol of truth. This light being a symbol of having direction and guidance. This light being a symbol of the divine. And so the question is, if, if light is found here in Isaiah and light is found in the many different world religions, what, what is unique about the, the light that God is bringing? Because I think for many people, what we would say is that to find light, we have to look to ourselves. That the light is something that we need to seek out. Let me give you a really good example of just how popular this idea has become. One of my favorite Christmas albums is actually this album by Josh Groban. It's called Noel. Okay, how many of you have heard this album or, or listened to this? Yes, a couple of hands. Okay, I, I love this album. Okay, it is a beautiful album. This dude has an amazing voice. I'm very, very, very jealous. But there's one song, there's one song on here that, like, I just, I can't get past. It's one song that, I'll be honest, I often skip over, and it's a song that he calls Thankful. And here's why I struggle with this song is because in that song, he's articulating this very, very popular idea. This is what he says, uh, a couple of the lyrics um, from this song. If I can get them up there. Okay, so here's what he says about Christmas. He says, so for tonight we pray for what we know uh, can be. On this day we hope for what we still can't see. It's up to us to be the change. Each of us must find our truth. It's so long overdue. Each of us must find each other's light. And yet I would say that, that Josh Groban is not the only guy who has this idea that at Christmas time we often hear this idea that the place that we look in order to find light is to each other. We're supposed to look to one another. We're supposed to look within ourselves to find the light and then to be the light in the world. Light is something that, not that we're given, but light is something that we just have or that we light ourselves. So it's something that we create and we bring into the world. And that is what many people would say is the hope of Christmas. It's this opportunity, this, this one time a year when all humanity is supposed to realize that we already have the light within us. We're supposed to look to each other's light and that will solve the world's problems. Now, hear me very, very clearly. I think that that's a beautiful idea. I do. I think it would be incredible if all we had to do was look into our hearts and realize that the light is already there and then turn around and solve our world's problems. But if I'm honest, if I take a step back and I look at the whole span of human history, I find that while this sentiment is beautiful, it doesn't leave me with a whole lot of hope. 
And here's why. When we were living down in St. Louis, going to seminary, one of the favorite places that my wife and I liked to go on dates was the art museum. Art museum, like many of the museums down in St. Louis, is free. Okay, free, guys. It actually exists. You can get into a museum for free. The rest of the world is not like Chicago. And we could get into the art museum anytime we wanted to, and we could see all these different works of art. And there was one section, it was in the modern art wing, where they would always have a piece of art that was film. It was some sort of like short film that was always being played. And I remember we went to that section this one time, and there was a very, very fascinating piece of art. It was a film that was on a loop. And what it was is it was, an, it was, an, um, it was an, basically an animated timeline of human history. And so it would, it, would, it would span out, and you would see the whole history of the human race, but then it would zoom in on these little moments. And what it would zoom in on were these little pictures of violence, of rioting, of wars, of crime. And as you moved along the timeline, you'd see, you know, these same kinds of atrocities being committed at different periods in time. And what I found fascinating is when I walked over to the little plaque that tells you the name of this piece of artwork, do you know what it said? It's just one word, evolution. The artist was summarizing the entire span of human history. He was looking at at us with all of our technological advancements, with all of the insights and the philosophies that we've developed down through the centuries, down through the millennia looking at all the ways in which we've leapt forward as a society, and yet what he noticed was no matter which age, no matter what kind of technology, no matter which society on which continent, we seem to repeat the same old atrocities. It just goes around in a loop. That for all of our advancement, we can't seem to move beyond the brokenness and the darkness that we see in the world around us. And so that sentiment that, you know, Josh Groban and many others give us at the Christmas season, while beautiful, is one that I think does not give us a whole lot of hope. Because when I look at human history, what I see is that for all of our best intentions, for all of our desire to truly be the light, we fall drastically short time and time and time again. See, one of the hard truths of Christmas is this idea that if, we're, if it's up to us to be the light, we're going to spend another millennia groping in the dark. In Isaiah chapter 8, the one that leads right up to the passage that we read for this morning, and this is what it has to say about us in the midst of all of our darkness. It says, distressed and hungry, They will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into outer darkness. See, one of the things that's interesting is what Isaiah is saying in chapter 8 is he says, if we look to the earth, if we look to ourselves and to each other, if we're looking to our own technological advancements or our own human philosophies, if we're looking to our governments and our systems to ultimately bring light into this world, what we will find is that we will be a people groping in the darkness. This is the hard truth of Christmas. 
This is the difficult thing, the difficult and kind of subversive message of the Christmas season. But it sets up a beautiful gift because what we then read in Isaiah chapter 9 is that God doesn't leave us there. God looks down on our darkened world. He looks down on us groping and looking for the light. And this is what he does. It says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in a land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. See, what he says is that the light isn't something that we can produce, but rather it's a gift that he gives. It's not something that we have to create. Rather, it's something that simply dawns on us. You see, what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion is that every other world religion says that the light is out there. You need to go and find it. And every other prophet who comes along simply gives you advice on how you can seek it out. But here in Isaiah 9, Christianity is telling us something different. This is not advice to be given. This is good news to be received. That it's not about what we muster up. Rather, it's about what God gives, what he gives freely. That he looks on a darkened world and he says, In my love, I will bring light to those who are groping in darkness. In my love, I will bring hope to the hopeless. I will bring peace to a war-torn world. I will bring joy to those who are mourning. I will bring love to those who feel unloved. God says, I will give you light. I will give you the light that you need in order to be able to see. But what's incredible is how that light comes to us. Because a little bit later on in Isaiah chapter 9, it says this, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says the one who will bring light into your world is a child, is a baby. And yet this baby is given four titles for God himself, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are words that we heard echoed in our gospel reading from John chapter 1. Here's what John 1 says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The scandalous message of Christmas is that the all-powerful God of the universe brings light into the world by coming into the world in flesh. That the creator becomes the creation. 
And this would have been staggering for ancient readers because in ancient times, what people believed is that the divine was up there, the earthly was down here. That that was a chasm that would never be breached except by our own moral effort, our own, moral effort, our own spiritual striving. And yet the Christian story turns that story on its head. It says it's not about us climbing the mountain. It's not about us finding the light. It's rather about the light coming down to us, becoming one of us, dwelling with us, taking on human flesh and experiencing what we experience. The way he brings light is by becoming human. And the reason I think that that is so beautiful is it lets us know, first of all, the extent of God's love. That there is no distance, no chasm too great for him to cross. There is no barrier that he cannot break down that will separate him from those whom he loves. There is nothing that will separate him from you and from me. But the other thing that that means is that we have a God who truly understands us. Who doesn't just know what the things that we experience because he's God and he's all-knowing, but because he himself has experienced what we experience. He's lived life the way that we live life. He knows what it means to walk in our shoes. The British essayist Dorothy Sayers puts it this way. I love this quote. She says, God himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty all for us, and he thought it well worth his while. You have a God who loves you so much he was willing to walk in your shoes. You have a God who loves you so much that he was willing to come into this world to experience pain and heartache, betrayal, and ultimately death. But who did it all for you and for me? Who did it all so that we might become a children of God? Who did it all so that we might know his grace and truth? Who did it all so that we might have forgiveness, that we might be set free from darkness and enter into light both now and into eternity? We have a God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God looked down on us and he saw us in all of our brokenness. He saw us in all the ways that we've fallen short. He saw us in all the things, the horrible things that we've done to each other down through the ages. And he said, they're worth it. They're worth it to me. And so while, yes, there's this hard truth about Christmas that we are in darkness, the good news of Christmas is that God brings the light. He enters in to give us freedom hope, grace, forgiveness, and life eternal, salvation itself. And the beauty about that gift of light is that it gives us a couple of things. First thing that God gives us is the gift of his presence. If God was willing to come into the world to be born a child, a poor kid in Bethlehem, to walk with us, to experience our pains, and ultimately to go to a cross and die for us, what that means is that there is no place in your life that you could possibly be where God is not willing to go. 
There is no place in your life that's too far, too low, too dark, too deep, or too high for God to possibly reach you. God will go with you through every trial, every hardship, and every pain because he understands, because he knows, and because his promise is to be present with those who believe in him. He gives the gift of his presence, his spirit dwelling within our hearts, a gift given by the light bringer, Christ himself. But the other gift that he gives us is he gives us the gift of guidance. That just as light helps us see in the darkness, so Christ helps us know, what is, how, how should I live my life? What, what per, for what purpose am I here? What decisions should I make? I mean, one of the beautiful things is that when people talk about, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus, is that we've been given a whole testimony of what it means to walk with God. And if you're sitting here and you're searching for purpose and you're wondering, what do I do about at this moment in this season of my life? The gift of the light is that God wants to guide you in that process. He wants to help you know what that next step step is. He has gifted you and given you a calling and a purpose and he desires to walk with you into it. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I want to know more about that. I need some help discerning that. That's why we have that connect card in the back of your worship folder. You can say, I'm looking for a Christian mentor. I want to study God's word. I want to know what his will is for my life. And we would love to meet with you and talk with you about that. But the third gift, ultimately, that he gives you is the gift of grace. So that when we stumble, when we fall in the darkness, when we fall short, we can know that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in all creation that could possibly cause us to be outside his reach, outside of his love. The gift that he gives us is the gift of grace, the promise of hope, the promise of an eternal love which will not fail even when we fall short. Because a Christmas story, it's not just for those who have their lives together. It's not just for the perfect. It's not just for those who've got an excellent track record when it comes to God. It's for everybody. The gift of light comes to us in our darkness. So that we might have hope, peace, joy, and love now and into eternity. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And it's that gift that we open and that we celebrate on Christmas. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Lord God, we give you thanks that into our darkened world you bring light. We give you thanks that you didn't wait for us to clean up our act to get our worlds together, but you entered in, you became one of us, you experienced hardship and pain so that we might experience hope and new life, forgiveness and healing and salvation. What an amazing gift. And so, Lord, we pray that this Christmas season we'd be reminded of that gift, that we would cling to the light, that we would know that we're loved, that we're forgiven, and that we would learn to walk in the light that you give through your son Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. 
Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.